Welcome to Astrology Today, coming to you live from beautiful Sunshine Coast and Powell River, which is situated on the traditional lands of the Klahoman Nation. I will be your host, Maureen Reed. Ah, this is brand new for me, so let's just hope it all goes well. <laughs> I am a retired professional astrologer who has stepped back into the world of astrology after nearly a 19-year absence, and I have found a lot has changed in the world of astrology. I'm excited to share my journey back into the stars with you. On this show, I will take you down many paths of Western astrology, going back into its roots, which go back at least 2,000 years ago, up to the present day leading edge methods and tools and research. Of course, all of the information I will present is available on the internet. What I'm offering here is a beginner's guide. I have the translation guidebook and I have met many of the players on this stage. You, the listener, can ask questions, report on your experience, and together we can debate the merits and applications of astrology. I will be uploading this show as an MP3 to, to uh, CJMP's website. It will be a podcast there. And I will also put the MP3 up on my website for you to re-listen to. I have also given notes on each episode as this can all be put into a transcript. Astrology Today will be available at www.cardinalastrology.ca. I recommend that you print a copy of your chart to have handy when you listen. These can be easily obtained from websites like astro.com or astrolab. A Google search will show lots of resources. I will also post PDF files of blank chart wheels for you to use. Currently, I am suffering some technical difficulties on this point, but, you know, we'll hope for the best soon. Uh, these can be used to make uh, for making notes. Um, I'm also hoping to put up other PDFs that will refer to the contents of upcoming shows. For instance, right now on my website, there are pictures of Freedom Fate Wheel, uh, Midheaven Diagram, and Rulerships. Uh, but not the PDFs. Not sure what I did wrong there. I'm going to offer a roadmap and destinations for each show. These episode outlines on my website will make it easy to find topics I have covered and probable content in upcoming shows. I hope also to have guests on the show, students and other professionals or enthusiasts of astrology. On each show, I will go in-depth on the meaning of the building blocks or the nouns of this art. The planets, Pluto, Neptune, Uranus, Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, Mercury, the Moon and the Sun, the houses or places numbered 1 through 12, the aspects, angular distances between planets, signs of the zodiac, which most of all, most all of you know the names of from sun sign columns in magazines and newspapers. With these building blocks, we can begin to see how astrologers work with this language. Oh dear, and I just went out a page. Oh well. <laughs> okay, the sun sign piece, um, I will explain in a future show just why sometimes these columns um, work for people and why sometimes they don't. And uh, that will be a topic for a future episode. In this, my first episode, I will speak to the beginning of the history of Western astrology and I will leave it up to the listeners to explore other astrological histories because, of course, there's astrology, forms of it in China, forms of it in India, probably everywhere. Western astrology can be traced back to um, actually the Mesopotamian era, and its first forms were what they called omens. And uh, they would just keep track of where the planets were and make notes of what was happening here on the ground. But by the time of Alexander the Great um, and his conquering of the known Western world at that time and his founding of the city of Alexandria, 
this is when astrology really took a solid foundation. And uh, in astrological circles, we refer to that as the Hellenistic times. Um, Greek was being spoken all over the known Western world at that time. And they codified and we have been able to actually uh, translate that information. But in the very beginning, the direct experience, that's where it all began. Um, people witnessing the evening sky, and they noticed that there were these stars that wandered through a backdrop of fixed stars. That band of fixed stars that the sun and all her planets roam through is known as the elliptic. They also notice that when those wanderers were in specific places against the backdrop of fixed stars, that they and others had experiences on the ground. If we track the moon's journey around the elliptic, she takes approximately 28 days to do so. So you can begin to build up a history for yourself of experiences by following the moon. And of course, with experience, you will begin to understand where some of the meanings for each of the symbols have come from. Much like the ancients, we can all see the moon. Maybe not so much the planets. Um, there's a great deal of clutter up there. I know if I look up in the sky, you know, you can spot half a dozen things zipping around. Obviously, those are just space junk. Um, there's also a lot of atmospheric pollution. If you're in a big city, yeah, you're not going to see too much. You can see the moon for sure, possibly, possibly the planets at sunrise or sunset. Um, these are called the morning star or the evening star. And for the most part, it will be either Mercury or Venus. But right at the moment, it is Mars you will see as the morning star. I will also, when I come to the segments about the building blocks, I will use chart examples from the news or history to demonstrate the topic I am discussing. And there is a huge library of rated chart data. And by rated, this is what astrologers, um, we need to work with accurate um, charts. And so to be really clear with what message a chart is saying. We have to be competent about the actual birth time. And you will see in future episodes that this is a pretty critical piece, having an accurately timed chart. Okay, so today is still just a setup day and my throat is going dry for a second. I have a helpful person here, yay. Um, yes, okay, so. I don't know. Can I drink on radio? I guess I can. Can't I? <laughs> okay. Chuckles can be heard throughout the audience. All three of you. No, no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> so um, I'm going to give you a brief history of my journey into astrology, just so that you can understand my background. Mine began literally in the 1970s, about 1973, actually. I checked on that today. Um, and I didn't come to astrology by choice, as in, you know, reading sun sign columns um, or, you know, having people talk to me about astrology. I wasn't curious into that. But I did meet, by chance, a student of astrology who I believe was curious to see my chart. And here I would like to insert a warning for all of you out there that are um, contemplating getting into this wonderful field, um, just know that getting someone's birth data is candy to a cocaine addict. You will start pestering people and they will start looking at you sideways. But anyway, that's, you know, warning has been served. Because astrology is an incredibly fascinating path to walk down, um, I agreed, to, I agreed to give this person my data, which is your time of birth, your place of birth, and your date of birth. What happened next was a trip to the local metaphysical bookstore because to calculate a chart before computers was this incredibly complicated bit of math which required reference books. So off to Banyan Books, this was in Vancouver, we went. He sat down with the reference books and a calculator and calculated my chart, and drew up a picture, a circle with lines and funny looking symbols and other lines connecting those symbols. He looked at it for a few minutes and then handed it to me. 
Now here I'm going to insert a pause in what I had prepared because I've just started a course on uh, Hellenistic astrology, which as I mentioned earlier in the show, is the astrology from 2000 years ago. And I was surprised to see that even back then, um, someone going to an astrologer would, you know, they would sit down and this person would get out a table that had the circle and the signs of the zodiac um, probably carved into the board. Um, It actually looked like clay tablets. And they would take stones and they would place them on the board indicating exactly where the planets were when that person was born. So even 2,000 years ago, they could do that. Okay, as anyone who has consulted an astrologer or a psychic or a card reader or a numerologist, one does sort of expect to be given some information at the end. And of course, while he's doing all this, I'm waiting in anticipation of the big reveal. And you know, I'm like, okay, say something. Well, what this person said to me when they handed me this paper was that I should learn to read the chart myself. Well, talk about disappointment and frustration. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, does this mean it says I'm going to die in the next week or something? You know, like, what's up with that? But all my attempts to get him to say something were fruitless. He kept saying, I think you should learn to read this yourself. So at that time, he did recommend a book, and I believe it was Alan Leo's book. And then there were also quite a few books on really basic beginner astrology, the type of all-inclusive material that let you do your own calculation and brief descriptions on the meanings of the symbols. I did buy one of those books as well to allow me to do chart calculations. My early journey was a bit daunting though. When you are studying on your own and you don't have anyone to bounce questions off of, you get quite frustrated. My knowledge and skill with the language did not flourish until I found my tribe. And on that note, that's part of the reason why I'm doing the show today. I am hoping that within the area uh, of Powell River in particular, that there will be a few other enthusiasts of astrology that we can all get together and possibly meet once a month to talk and discuss. But I'm also going to be available on this show to take your questions. And eventually, I will start using people's charts as examples where it seems appropriate. And so that instead of being off in a wilderness trying to figure this language out, there's going to be a group of us that can get together. So I needed to find my tribe. And I didn't find my tribe until the 1980s. By this time, astrology conferences were coming on strong. And let me tell you, walking into a room where everyone spoke the language was so sweet. I was in heaven, no pun intended. Going to lectures or dinner with authors of the books I had on my, she- my shelf was magical. I began to go on a regular conference, began to go on a regular basis to these conferences, um, and especially the big one in Seattle which is still an annual event. If you go on Facebook or you go Google NORWAC, which is N-O-R-W-A-C, Northwest Astro Conference, you will see that, again, coming in 2020, there is another conference. And you will also see, with the list of speakers, a lot of the, you know, the kind of top name writers that are out there today. So at these conferences, I was able to see that this language was full of humor and humility, and people who spoke fluently could speak to clients, and they found it useful. I began to study particular current astrologers' methodologies. There was also back in the 70s and early 80s when I started going to these conferences, the beginnings of proper schools for astrology. Professional organizations were just starting in their infancy, and there was a hint on the horizon in the late 80s of computer programs, which would end the painful task of manually calculating charts. 
And in some ways, my venture into the world of professional astrology really wasn't going to take off until I could no longer worry about whether or not I was calculating a chart correctly. Because how can you sit opposite somebody with basically a metaphorical picture of their life and not actually be totally confident that what you are looking at was calculated correctly? So until the advent of astrology programs, my study of astrology was limited to pestering family and friends who I wasn't going to charge, obviously, with my insights into their character. Okay, um, I'm going to go take a little divergence back into just what sort of astrology I was coming into back then. Um, astrology's resurgence in the 20th century started with sun sign columns by people like Evangeline Adams and Lyndon Goodman, and more serious reformulations by Dane Rudyard, who, among others, were the folks that the speakers at these conferences had studied with. The emphasis back in the early 60s, 70s, and 80s was less on predictive astrology, which is what the ancients were practicing, and more on self-development, self-actualization, and was a reflection of those times. Self-help was in the full swing, was in full swing then. Carl Jung and his archetypes were embraced by astrologers, and the world of astrology at that time embraced psychology, which was also in its infancy at that time. But there was a group who felt that something was missing in their delineations and wanted to reach back into astrology in case vital tools had been lost. The Western branch of astrology had come in and out of favor many times over the last 2,000 years, and a lot of material had never been translated by astrologers, only by historians. But of course, without their full appreciation of astrology, they missed nuances and implications or descriptions of techniques. But in the early 90s, there were a group of astrologers like Robert Hand and Robert Schmidt who started projects like Project Hindsight. And as I'm learning, there were also other astrologers who were beginning to do things like even learn Greek in order to directly read the manuscripts from 2,000 years ago from the Hellenistic tradition. And it is with one of those astrologers that um, I have currently signed up for a class in <clears throat> this Hellenistic astrology. Because uh, I too am curious to see just what did we drop? What have we missed? What can be added to today's readings? So that was just in its infancy when I was going to these conferences. But the mainstream of astrology at that time was in combining astrology with psychology. And again, I am going to pause oh, as she wanders away from her mic <laughs> for a little sip. And I bet that just sounds lovely. Oh, well. <laughs> okay, so back to the branches of astrology. And there are many, well, not a lot, but there is the psychological approach, obviously. There is also within sort of the psychological approach um, ways of combining charts, whether that be a group of professionals who, let's say, have started a business to see how well they interact, or whether it's between two people in a romance that's called sinistry, and there's even chart comparisons done between parents and children. But there are also um, types of astrology called horary, which is the asking of questions, much like uh, you might um, do a card reading. It can answer, you know, classic questions of where is something that you've lost, um, you know, when is a good time to leave one job and start another one. And in that same or similar vein, there is also um, what's called electional astrology, which is choosing the right time to start or activate an event or a business or to even get married. And I have to say that my second marriage was done to, under such an election. And 
I think I did pretty good. <laughs> Mundane astrology, which is really where astrology started back in Mesopotamia. They, um, you know, once they realized that there were these bodies that traveled through a very specific path and they could start charting them, and they started comparing that to the events on Earth. What they came up with at that time was what was called omens. So if Mars, the god, because from their point of view, that's what they named them, um, you know, was aspecting, um, let's say, Saturn, then the king slash country could very well be in for a specific scenario. And they actually compiled a great book on these omens. And this is like the Mesopotamian area is before the common area. And it goes back at least another thousand years, I believe. Okay, but we still do mundane astrology. We look at political and current trends. And of course, here in Canada, we have an interesting trend about to be established on Monday. And I will speak to that in a few moments. Okay, there are also astrologers that study a medical side where they attempt to understand what is happening on a medical point of view. But my focus and curiosity was on the human condition. I could see that understanding our own unique relativity could help us in our interactions with each other. I could introduce people to each other, which pulled back the curtain of projections and imaginings that we can all have about one another. And most intriguing to me was the ability to look at timing of periods of growth or challenges or catching a social trend. But let's now start with this landscape. <clears throat> so the primary tool that astrologers use is what is called the natal chart, sometimes called the nativity birth chart, or some will just say chart. Now exactly what is it? It is literally a picture of the sky that surrounds the earth and this three-dimensional universe made into a two-dimensional chart. Um, the chart is set up as a circle. It, is, it has 360 degrees divided into 12 segments and in some cases into another 12 segments. The line that is perpendicular, let's say to the bottom of the page, would represent the literal physical horizon of the place that the chart is being cast for. For example, a chart cast for Powell River today at 12 o'clock would show Gemini rising and Jupiter just above the horizon. And today's start of the show, I actually kind of pushed and prodded and was successful at convincing everybody that this was the time to start this show. So literally, this show has started on an electional chart. Okay, so the map then is quite accurate. And um, the calculations are made in order to place the various bodies slash planets, nine of them, sun and moon, around this circle. For instance, obviously we're in October, so the sun, even though noon is typically considered the highest point the sun will reach on a literal map, it's actually, you know, tilted off to one side, and that's due to the tilt of the earth on its axis. And so currently Mercury, Venus, the sun, Mars, and the moon are all above the horizon, but not at the very top of the chart, <clears throat> whereas Uranus, uh, which astrologers do track now, Neptune, Pluto, Saturn, and Jupiter are all below the horizon. The calculations are the same ones used by those who are navigating the oceans before GPS. Now the divisions, because there will be 12 of them, are made up primarily of places or houses, there's 12 of them, and there are many systems called house division systems that astrologers use in order to divide up those 12 slices of pie. What is universal, though, are the boundaries of each of the 12 signs, which is always 30 degrees. Now, at this point, um, scientists slash astronomers slash people who haven't really looked into astrology will comment on the fact that the literal um, zodiacal star formations surrounding the elliptic are not 
nice and neatly carved out in 30 degree segments. And so people in the ancient times also recognized that phenomena. And so we have gone in the Western style of astrology, we have gone to a tropical zodiac, which basically is saying that we are starting the wheel with the spring equinox and we are dividing it in 30 degrees and each sign takes up those 30 degrees. So for my purposes and for future charts, um, you know, obviously I'm using the tropical system of the zodiac and I am also using a house system called whole sign house system, which is hearkening back to um, the Hellenistic period. Okay, so um, <clears throat> the next question that needs to be answered is why, uh, oh dear, I have jumped all over the place. Anyway, there we go. Um, okay, so 12 images. Yep, yep, we already talked about that. Um, seasonal turning points. Everybody got that? Everybody making notes? I'm teasing. <laughs> Okay, so um, the tropic, okay, so just to understand what the elliptic is and um, why within the tropical zodiac uh, we follow that seasonal piece. So the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn literally mark the boundaries of the elliptic and all of the current planets fall as they're making their motions around the sun. They follow within that. And of course, the reason why it's called Cancer and Capricorn, because that is the winter solstice and the summer solstice. Again, part of the tropical zodiac and why we went with that. Okay, and I'm watching my time and I need to move along. Okay, I do recommend that in future that you do have your own chart downloaded um, and as I had suggested earlier that can be easily got off the internet um, because what I'm going to be doing in the last half of the show is literally giving you the what's happening in the next week to come so from today until just prior to my show next Saturday and I will be discussing obviously the moon the most because it is the fastest and um, what aspects the other planets are making uh, where they're positioned at this point in time and so to start with today um, today's chart we have the sun at uh, 26 degrees Libra we have Venus at 13 degrees of Scorpio we have Mercury at 20 degrees of Scorpio. We have Mars at 10 degrees of Libra, and I'm just realizing I'm not really going in a good order here. We have the Moon at four degrees of Cancer, um, and it's forming, uh, coming up to forming its last quarter square to the Sun in its 28-day cycle. Below the horizon, uh, we have Uranus at 4 degrees of Taurus. We have Neptune at 16 degrees of Neptune, or pfft, Pisces, pardon me. Uh, we have Pluto at 20 degrees of Capricorn, and we have Saturn at 14 degrees of Capricorn. And as I said earlier, Jupiter is just rising at 20 degrees of Sag. He's the planet in charge of teaching. That's kind of why I picked it. Okay, so with those positions, um, obviously the natal chart, it was a slice, it is a slice of time, but they keep moving. And so in the next segment of my show, um, we are going to look at the movements as they're happening now. And so just as a little precursor, when I'm talking about the moon, I'm describing the day's mood. So what's the mood for the day? If the sun is making an aspect that is focusing the direction of events on the earth, if Mercury is making an aspect, it will um, condition the kind of communication styles and content and routine that's happening. 
With Venus, we're looking at relational qualities. It can be drawing people together. Um, it can also be encouraging ar artistic and aesthetic things. With Mars, we have one of the first malefics, and uh, the ancients were a little worried about this guy. Um, he does indicate assertive moments, action, ego drives, and can be difficult, but it's also obviously excellent to get things happening. With Jupiter, you're looking at, this is was called one of the benefics, and it includes growth, expansion, social glue, um, you know, peer group stuff. It's, and obviously education. Saturn, one of my favorite planets, actually also considered a malefic, is reality testing. Uh, Uranus, these are the outers, and um, obviously the ancients had no idea they were out there. Um, they couldn't see them. But today we follow them, we track them, and we know that they create interesting scenarios. So currently, Uranus is in Taurus, uh, came into Taurus in 2018, will leave in 2025. And while he's in Taurus, um, he will bring his revolutionary disruption and unexpected new changes to the arena of Taurus. And so if you happen to be a sun sign Taurus, or if you know your chart and you know that you have an ascendant in Taurus or the moon in Taurus, you can expect some disruption during that time frame. Neptune currently is in Pisces. It went into Pisces in 2011, and it will leave in 2025. This can dissolve realities. And again, it takes a specific hit to your chart to notice that. Um, Pluto, which is the final one that most astrologers today follow, um, I mean, there are other bodies, but that's for another show. Um, this is death, destruction, and rebirth. The happy caterpillar who goes into the cocoon, that in theory comes out as the butterfly. He's traveling through Capricorn, and he began in 2008 and will leave in 2024. Basically, we're looking at the structures of society, Capricorn, going through this process. Okay, so I'm seeing by the clock that it's time that I begin Where's That Moon? And this will be a weekly feature. Um, and I will start with today. Okay, so um, with Cancer, the moon is in Cancer. Um, today's mood, if you can believe it, for everybody that isn't involved in a political campaign, um, this is the a weekend for rest, relaxation, and hiding in your shell because people will be a little more sensitive than they normally would be. Uh, for those that have a strong cancer circuit, I do recommend this weekend as a chilling out period of time. Cancer is the archetype of nurturing whatever needs nurturing, whether that's you curling up with a good book or spending time with family, or maybe in a man or woman cave this time, this is, this is the weekend to do that. But flying, but there is a fly in this ointment, uh, and this will happen close to 10 p.m. tonight. When the moon challenges Mars, um, a flash of irritation, passive aggressive behavior, is likely to be present, and that's around 10 p.m. If you're sleeping, that could be in a dream. <laughs> Mercury is in Scorpio right now, and he is aspecting Pluto in Capricorn over the last 24 hours. The truth be out about power is what a Mercury in Scorpio is wanting. We're looking for revel revelations, and those revelations, which not everyone is going to be happy about. Um, and obviously here in Canada that today, we just might be hearing some stuff coming out on the political front that uh, makes some happy and others not. But it's time today and actually into Sunday as well that it's going to be important if you're looking at this on a personal level to speak truth to power. And yes, this may be, and I think I already said that, Okay, so cautionary tales could be coming out at this point in time. 
On a personal note, this Mercury aspecting Pluto, it's a chance to really grasp how important it is to move forward in difficult conversations. In particular, whether or not the power structure that exists in your world are moving you forward. Uh, So you can take these energies that I'm going to be talking about each week and applying, taking advantage of them, making use of them. Venus is also catching up to Saturn and Pluto in Capricorn. First up is Venus to Saturn. For the next couple of days, it will be important in relationships to be willing to listen and to hear or be heard about divisions of duties and responsibilities in relationships. Making changes in the structure of relationships that will move all forward into the future. This can follow with business partnerships as well as familial relationships. If you're feeling that this particular reality check is topical for you at this moment, then you will want to look back to the last conjunction that Venus made with Saturn, and that occurred in February of this year. So as you can see, as the planets move, they create cycles, and with Saturn in particular, Um, You can start a new structure, you can get it tested, you can see the fullness of of that cycle. And it's important if you find this useful to actually start making notes about when things start so that you can tell when they're getting their tests. Because the reality test lets you make adjustments if it's not going according to plan. So relationship changes that began in February, including a partner or a group of people, then your transition towards closure of that situation would be appropriate to feel okay. We're ready to finish this off. So this is the last square. Then you're coming up to a time where you could make a permanent commitment to the next phase of the relationship. Okay, there's a very interesting alignment as the moon travels through Cancer and we wake up here on the West Coast to a joining by the aspect of Venus, Saturn, and Neptune from the moon. So occasionally the moon will tie together a group of planets that are actually coming into aspect with each other. And sometimes that combining is a bit strange. And when I looked at this one, I thought, yeah, this is a mashup. And it could set the stage for a a rough and tumble last day of the election um, as many come down to earth and see reality. So I suspect that overnight from today that the polls when we wake up are going to show some fairly interesting things. Lots of hearts and minds will actually probably get changed with this aspect. Um, And so the polls might say one thing in the morning, but by the end of tomorrow night, they may say something else. So the moon itself in Cancer is coming up to uh, its final square, as I said before, the last quarter square before the new moon. Um, And it also is a closing reminder as you wake up to the election. And so for things that began 21 days ago. And the sun, when I'm talking about it in this context, it's the direction of things. So the new moon is always an excellent time to start something. The full moon is a time to go, okay, is this what I want? If it's a yes, then you continue on down that path. Um, If it's sort of okay, you can make an adjustment at the full moon and you definitely make more adjustments at the last quarter. Okay, while we all make our way to vote, the moon will pass into Leo tomorrow and getting us all ready for the drama at the end of today, today meaning Monday. To ease the weight, we turn to Venus. Venus in Scorpio is catching up to Neptune and will be heralding a time frame for the next few days in which spiritual activities such as meditation, uh, drinking excessively if your party really did poorly in the polls, teasing. Um, Spiritual and creative (laughs) energy will become easier to access. And because Neptune is retrograde, which is something I will get to in another show, this would be an inward time, not the point at which you would start to bring this stuff out to the world, but rather a time where you let the creative juices bubble. 
Monan Leal gives us all a shock as he makes a connection to Uranus in the afternoon here on the West Coast, which is close in time to the closing of voting in Ontario. Dun, da, da, da. <laughs> I suspect that when the polls close already, you know, the whole Leo drama thing will be ramping up. But this is a wild card aspect, the moon to Uranus. And um, yeah, I'm, I will report, of course, obviously next Saturday on just what we all thought this was. The moon's first serious aspect to say that the election goes to will likely be at 9 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. That's about 11 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, with most all of the ridings decided by 4 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Tuesday's moon in Leo has the discussion around the water cooler as we all try to make sense of the results of the election. What does it mean? And the meaning is not clear. At noon, the conversation gets less clear and the personal gets dragged in with emotional confrontations that can get loud. The moon is still in Leo and strikes out at power, but it is not a fight that can be won outright. Um, It's an awkward compromise that is required. On a happier note, Local winning candidates will do well to thank all this evening. The moon shakes hands with Jupiter. Yay! Later in the evening, the moon squares Mercury and the blame game commences. Wednesday, the sun steers us out of pacifying Libra and into a cold dose of Scorpio reality just before lunch. And when the sun changes signs, um, This is one of those times when, um, again, if you're tracking this, you can get a sense of the qualitative changes that each sign represents. And so there will be a distinct shift of energy, especially in terms of the direction that we're all taking, um, happening on Wednesday when the sun goes into Scorpio. And then the moon brings us right back to task at hand after lunch as she moves into Virgo. So the shift between a Leo moon to a Virgo moon is again one of those relatively dramatic shifts because Leo is playful, it's on stage, it's wanting to see and be seen. Whereas Virgo is like, uh, okay, um, hello, we're getting near the end of the week. Yes, it's been, you know, all weirded out because of the election, but there's work that needs to be done. And so Virgo is saying, let's get back to work. The combination of moon in Virgo, an earth sign, and the sun in Scorpio, a water sign, can be quite engaging. Very notable for getting serious, life-saving activities done. And a combo like this in a personal chart would lend itself to someone who would excel at being a surgeon or a fighter pilot or a first responder or an astronaut. And I do digress as she's looking at her time. (laughs) Uh, I hope people are getting something out of this. Oh, (laughs) as the studio takes a moment. Okay, the 6 p.m. news or suppertime conversation could be a zinger as the moon gracefully wires up to Uranus. Um, The need to slide in a zinger with as little disruption as possible, now is the time. So, you know, if you need to make that announcement to the husband or wife that, you know, you've had a bump with the car or you know the child at school who got called into the office and hasn't let anybody know this is the moment when you slide those in thursday the moon is quiet until lunch when she makes a productive aspect to saturn a working lunch meeting would be perfect today that's thursday Mars in social Libra is warming up to make a hard aspect to Saturn, and these two do not play well together. Reality has an advantage over Mars' assertiveness, as Mars does not like being in Libra. This square often demands respect to be made if it's to work. So if you're finding that a confrontation is on the horizon, try to resolve it before Sunday. That's when this aspect goes exact. 
Respecting each other is the best way to avoid calamity, um, which just lets me think that if we're in a minority government situation, this will be the energy of you know, the governing party trying to make its deal with one of the other smaller parties in order to claim a majority. Could be interesting. Venus is also has plans that kick off today. She is cozying up to Pluto. And so this is a com combo. And what I've said here is not for the faint of heart. One moment as she takes another drink. <laughs> and it's only water. Although many people that know me think it might be whiskey, but it isn't. <laughs> okay, this combo is, as I said, not for the faint of heart. Relationships that spark while these two are connected will fundamentally transform both parties. So again, if we apply this kind of energy to an election scenario, then, you know, let's say it's the conservatives with the new Democrats or the new Democrats with the Green Party or whoever. Like I say, this will fundamentally transform both parties. This influence runs its course by 3 a.m. Friday morning. So again, on a personal level, if you are single and out there in the singles looking for a partner scenario, you may feel an almost, um, I'm, I was about to say fatal, but yeah, no, um, a drawing to a person that is almost impossible to avoid. That is the energy of Venus with Pluto. Meanwhile, that Virgo moon gives us all a time out from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. as she makes a connection to Neptune. So I wouldn't recommend doing anything really critical during that time frame, you know, and what pops into my mind, of course, is something like surgery. I'd be like, yeah, no, if it's 2 p.m., I'll pass on that. The moon and Neptune together is like instant emotional sensitivity that unless you're a Pisces or spiritually inclined, can have you wondering for a moment, did someone slip you something in your coffee? This evening, and we're talking, I think I'm still on Thursday. I can see when I do this for next week, I need to keep the date in mind. Nope, this is Friday. Um, okay, so this evening, the moon catches up to Venus and Pluto combo and will likely spur some to action. So this is um, a Friday evening where hot dates are happening. And um, I vote for healthy hot dates happening. <laughs> okay, the juice turns up around 9 p.m., which is perfect. Um, as the moon leaves the erotic pair to whatever they have in mind, she catches up to Jupiter so that if you are awake from 11 p.m. to midnight, Expect a devil with details to catch you up and take the wind out of your sails. Um, this is a square from moon to that Jupiter, and it's from Virgo. And Jupiter, Jupiter energy can get way overinflated. And um, when it gets dinged by something, it does. It can take the wind out of the sails or have you walk off the end of that branch because you've overextended yourself. Okay, so um, actually that whole juicy thing was Thursday night because I'm seeing, yeah, it's Friday and Virgo Moon is pushing for the job to be done right before lunch. At lunch, she moves into the fresh air of Libra. So it's all about coming into the weekend. It's all about making nice. But wait, that pesky Mars-Saturn confrontation is making itself felt loudly challenging that all are happy with the current structures in the world. If in your world, um, this Mars-Saturn confrontation is heating up, then the operative way to work with Libran energy um, and Capricorn when the two come together is to make sure that both sides of the situation are clearly stated. That's the Mars side. 
And then the Saturn has to recognize that it has to respect both sides of the situation in order to come to the Libran compromise. Meanwhile, Moon in Libra is wanting all to just get along and be friendly and amiable. Not likely to be a quiet evening for all. Overnight, the sun who is now in Scorpio is getting ready to oppose Uranus. A powerful light is going to be shone on the shocking state of, okay, and for some astrologers, myself included, I'm seeing that um, the Uran Uranus transit through Taurus is going to expose all of the resources on this planet that uh, need to be paid attention to, that are ways of handling all of our resources, whether that be air, water, food supply, climate, cars, gas, oil, all of that stuff. Okay. Um, Uranus is asking us to make changes. And every time the sun comes around, it makes an aspect to that Uranus we will be pointed towards a direction that the change needs to occur in. And this is what's happening come overnight on Friday. So I expect that in the morning, some of the news will be quite insightful. Um, and starting in, of course, for um, Saturday morning and my next show, the moon will conjunct Mars. Uh, for that moon, uh, that Mars-Saturn show. And um, hopefully I get some good feedback, but whatever the feedback is and whatever your questions are from this, my first show, please feel free to send all comments and questions uh, to me on my Facebook page, which is Cardinal Astrology. Or you could email me at Maureen, and that's spelled M-O-R-E-E-N at Cardinal, C-A-R-D-I-N-A-L, astrology dot C-A. And just as a reminder, this show has been taped or is being taped, and it will appear up on the podcast list for CJMP. Um, and I'm hoping if I can figure out all the technical details, I will also put this show up on uh, my own website, which is www.cardinalastrology.ca. On the next show, I will continue with the history of Western astrology, and we will look at the angular connections between the planets, and they are called aspects. Okay, so I hope you all have a good week and please, by all means, exercise your democratic right and vote. Thank you.